speak up. <laughs> Let's all stand. Amen. We got some people uh, traveling today, uh, going to be traveling throughout the week. So uh, please remember our brothers and sisters as they're on the road, enjoying time with family and friends. Uh, some of us will be traveling later in the week. Uh, continue to remember uh, everyone, that everyone stays safe, has a good time, ministers, amen, comes back safe and sound. Praise God. We want to pray for a few specific needs. Uh, Brother and Sister Rapids are not here. They're not feeling well this morning. We want to pray for them. Uh, there's a, a girl by the name of Nicole Bowman. Uh, she's a friend of the, the Parkers. She has a, uh, she's very sick right now. Uh, she needs our prayers. We're going to pray for her today. And also, uh, Wendy Mann, she's been here a few times. Um, she is experiencing a, a myriad of different physical difficulties right now. Uh, if we can lift her up in prayer as well. And uh, this service this morning, the service uh, following this, let's pray that God has His perfect will and way with us and in His service here today. Amen. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for You. We are so thankful for Your so great salvation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that Your Spirit would be present here, that we would feel Your presence here powerfully and mightily. Help us, Lord Jesus, to entertain the presence of the Lord, to wait upon You, to minister unto you this morning with our worship and with our praise and with our giving of thanks. Hallelujah, Jesus. Every good gift, every perfect gift we have, we have from you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, for Nicole Bowman. I pray for her brother and sister Rapids. I pray for Wendy Mann right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would lift them up, that you would infuse their bodies with life and vigor and strength. You are the God of life. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let your presence be felt in their rooms powerfully and mightily right now. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that your perfect will would be accomplished here today in these services, your services. We dedicate them to you. You are the Lord our God, and there is none else. We acknowledge that you are Lord and God in this place, and that this is your service and that we are your people. Minister according to the needs represented here today and according to your perfect will. And we pray, Lord, that your mighty name would be glorified here today. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. What an awesome surprise, Miriam. Miriam's here today. Did you know that? <laughs> amen. Are you here for Thanksgiving? Awesome. Well, I'm excited to see you. Probably not as excited as your family is, but I'm excited. So good to see you. God bless you. Amen. <clears throat> Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. As a biblical Christian, as one who has a covenant relationship with the Lord their God, we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen. In the United States, in most first world countries, uh, we have this 
kind of a half-joking, half-self-pity kind of statement that says, uh, you know, we're, we're experiencing a, a first-world problem here. And we all know what that means. Uh, a first-world problem would be uh, being stuck in traffic trying to get somewhere that's a half hour away. But we're in a nice car. It's air-conditioned in the summertime. It's heated in the wintertime. Uh, if we want, we can roll up the windows and turn the radio on or, or uh, something along that. Some of us have satellite radio that we can access whatever we want, whenever we want. And that, that mean old half-hour drive becomes a little bit easier. Not even realizing sometimes that there are people in third world countries that walk four, six, eight hours to get somewhere. And then they have to walk the same distance back. But we're sad and we're, we're, we're full of self-pity because, man, I would go to that, but man, that's a half hour away by car. We go home and the internet's a little slow. And we're cursing the internet company provider because it's, why can't they get this to work? I'm paying them good money. My YouTube video is buffering or worse, it's, the resolution is lower now because it, it can't keep up with the, the 1080p resolution that I like to see. And so I'm complaining, not knowing that in other countries there is no internet at all. Or very spotty at best. I'm not even thankful that the electricity works. It, it just works. But in other countries, they have these rolling brownouts where the grid is unstable and, and they have to shut it down in different parts of town because the, the grid can't keep up. Or sometimes... In very impoverished areas, there's no electricity at all. So we have these first world problems that, that you and I experience. And third world people would probably rejoice to experience the problems that you and I have. Going to a supermarket. And they're out of my brand of whatever. I can't eat anything but... Heinz ketchup. All they have is hunts. I mean, we we complain about stuff like that. And that, that gets under our skin. First world problems. If we could walk a mile in somebody else's shoes... I know that uh, there's, this, there's this phenomenon when uh, someone from a first world country goes into a third world country for a while on a missions trip or, or just to, to, to visit the area or for a documentary, documentary purposes, whatever it might be. And they're hit full force with, with the reality of, of these people's everyday lives. And it affects people. Very profoundly, very deeply. People start feeling guilty for the, the, the benefits and the privileges that they enjoy in, in their country. People start feeling like we, we owe something to these 
these people. We, we need to do something. And I think to an extent, maybe some of that is true. But the contrast that people experience. And I know that um, missionaries in third world countries, when they come back to the United States, there is a, a huge culture shock when that takes place. Understanding that we have a lot to be thankful for in the United States. I understand this country is not perfect, not by any means. I also understand that the privileges that we enjoy are maybe a little bit fewer and a little bit farther between than in past years. But nevertheless, this nation is still the freest, most blessed nation in the, in the whole world. And we ought to be very thankful for the blessings that we enjoy here. But what about those that don't enjoy these blessings? What would they have to be thankful for? For example, if I'm a part of a, a group of people in Central America or Africa or somewhere in uh, rural India who might not enjoy the benefits that you and I enjoy here, do they have anything to be thankful for? Well, it turns out that a lot of those people are some of the most thankful people you'll ever meet. And paradoxically, you'll find that most first world inhabitants are some of the most unthankful people you'll ever meet. When we look to Scripture we find a lot of talk, a lot of teaching, a lot of passages about being thankful, about thanksgiving. Exodus 15, for example. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's rather lengthy. But read it sometime. It's a whole chapter dedicated to thanking and praising God for a, a mighty, miraculous deliverance. The children of Israel at this point were trapped between the armies of Egypt and the Red Sea. And God, through miraculous providence, split the Red Sea and they went through on dry ground. Completely delivered them, miraculously. And they were rejoicing and they were thankful for it. Rightly so. But interestingly enough, if we look at the chapter before that, they weren't rejoicing. They weren't worshiping and praising God. In fact, quite the opposite. Before the deliverance came, they were trapped. They were probably thinking to themselves, God is not a very good general. We're trapped between their armies and this great big body of water. We're dead. And there, the, the words coming out of their lips at that point were not, thank you, Jesus. It was, Oh, Jesus wasn't around yet. Thank you, God. But there, it was quite the opposite. He brought us out here just to kill us. Would to God that we were back in Egypt right now. 
Why did He do this to us? Yes, yes, that's exactly why God did this. He brought you out here. He went through all this trouble just to kill you here. That's people, folks. That's people in the middle of a bad situation. Then God delivers them, and they're like, oh, yay! God's awesome again. God's great again. Until the next situation comes up, and now God's not so good anymore. Now we're hungry, we're thirsty, we need water, we need, we need food. I miss the leeks and the onions and the garlic in Egypt. Would to God we were back in Egypt right now. Psalm 100 is a, is a psalm that David wrote. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. And it's a little bit shorter, so I'm going to read that today. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God, and that He made us. It is He that made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Again, those that have a covenant relationship with their God, those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, those that have tasted of the Lord and seen that He is good, we have a lot to be thankful for. Even if we're not maybe always experiencing some of the blessings and the bounty that first world nations have to offer. None of us here are billionaires that I'm aware of. Uh, we don't have infinite resources. We can't just buy whatever we want, whenever we want, travel wherever we want, whenever we want. Uh, we're bound by some things economically. We have to watch what we spend. We have to allocate here, here, and here, and that's all we have. But even in the midst of poverty, such as we define it here in the United States, we have a lot to be thankful for. We're going to look today uh, at the Apostle Paul. We read in many of his writings how thankful he was, even in the midst of Awful, horrible situations. He was continually and overtly thankful to his God. The one thing he was thankful for, one person he was thankful for, was Jesus Christ himself. Specifically, the empty grave and the eternal gift that God gives. Now, we don't read anything about Saul, which is what his name was before he was converted and became Paul. We don't read anything about Saul or hear anything about him in the Gospels. We do know he was present in the Gospels. He was around, just not mentioned. And I have to surmise, based on the end result of his worldview, his, his thinking process that we see in the book of Acts, I have to assume that he was not a fan of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. Now again, at the end of the day, I'm speculating here, but I think it's a reasonable assumption that Saul was not a fan of Jesus at any point in time. Finally, 
Everything progressed to the point where they were able to crucify Him. Problem solved. We can move on with our lives. And then this disturbing news comes that maybe He didn't say dead. There's this rumor circulating around of this resurrection. The the tomb is empty. The body is gone. That much we can prove. But in any case, we pick up with with Saul in the book of Acts. We read about him guarding those that are stoning Stephen. Holding the coats of them that want to stone Stephen. The church's first martyr. Later on, we read about Saul breathing threatenings against the church. He secured letters from the Sanhedrin. He secured letters from from those in power, allowing him to go from house to house, breaking up churches, breaking up assemblies, Christian assemblies, throwing people in prison, breaking up families, killing Christians. That was Saul. Now Saul thought he was doing the right thing. Granted, he was persuaded. He was convinced that he was doing God's work. He knew. And according to the Old Testament law, I think an argument could be made for it. Except that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the Old Testament law. See, that's the problem. The covenant is null and void now. There's a new covenant. That's something Saul wasn't aware of or or couldn't see yet at this point. So he's trying to crush this upstart religion, this rebellion against the law of Moses and against God until Damascus. He encounters Jesus Christ Himself on the road to Damascus. It was a miraculous encounter. It was a revelation. No one else could see it. Everyone else saw the light. But no one else could hear the words. Now, I've got to admire Saul at this point because his entire way of viewing the world was crashing down at this moment. It was completely being destroyed. Everything he knew about the world was wrong. Everything he was convinced about, persuaded of, was incorrect. And he came face to face with that realization in this one moment. Every, the way I'm looking at the world is fundamentally wrong. I was wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God. And he realized it in this one breathtaking moment. And rather than argue, rather than than try to defend his position, rather than fight for what was left, the semblance that was left of, of, of his presuppositions, he simply accepted it. That's why I admire Paul so much. When confronted with this this fundamental reality that was way different than than anything he'd ever seen or or heard before. His response was, what do you want me to do, Lord? That was it. 
He just accepted it and moved on with it. And boy, did he. Did he ever move on with it? The same zeal, the same passion that he used to destroy the church was now turned in a 180 direction for the kingdom of God. On that road to Damascus, he knew not only that Jesus was still alive, but he was both Lord and Christ. He knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. He knew that He was the Messiah that was prophesied of old. And then He knew that that covenant was gone. It was fulfilled. There's a new covenant now. He was thankful for the eternal gift of God. 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Now again, you've got to appreciate Saul. His entire life was dedicated to the law. His entire life was dedicated to Phariseeism. I don't know if they call it that, but that's what it was. He studied. He memorized. He disciplined himself to be a Pharisee. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, he declares later on. Very religious. Very zealous. He put everything he had into this. He tried so hard to get it right. Only to discover later on that under this new covenant, salvation is a gift to be received. He writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, "...for by grace ye are saved through faith." And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is the free gift of God. Now, there should be some things that happen because of that. We should see fruit. Okay, I'm not saying that. But salvation itself is not of works. There's nothing you or I can do to be saved. Nothing at all. If I could save myself, then Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary would have been completely ridiculous. Why would He even do that? But it was absolutely necessary if He was going to purchase my salvation. If I cannot save myself, then I need a Savior. I'm so thankful this morning for a Savior. Someone who wrapped Himself in flesh, came down from heaven, lived as you and I live, suffered on a cross and died. He did that for me. He did that for each of you. And to take that a step farther, He did that so that you would have the choice to live for Him. He's not going to force anyone to serve Him. He could. He has all power. He could force me to serve Him if He wanted to. But He won't. He never will. 
We read all kinds of scriptures. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open unto me. He doesn't bust the door down. He could. He's got enough strength to bust my door down. But he won't. He's going to wait for me to open it. And he's going to wait for me to invite him in. That's who God is, folks. He died on a cross. He went through everything he went through so that you would have the choice. Before, I didn't have a choice. I was bound in sin. I didn't have an option to serve him. But now I do. Now everyone does. Thank God for that. And that choice matters. All of our choices matter. That's, that's the thing about free moral agency. Having free will. Our choices matter, objectively. For good or for bad. I'm thankful today that He purchased my salvation for me. Paul was also thankful for his fellow Christians, his brothers and sisters. Aren't we thankful today for our brothers and sisters? Absolutely we are. Romans 1, 8-11 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ to you all, for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. And Philippians 1.3 says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Paul had a great love for the saints. We read a lot, we hear a lot about Paul's missionary journeys. How that he was a great soul winner. He, he brought a lot of people into the church, established churches everywhere. But what's not always mentioned so overtly is the fact that he would stay there one, two, three years to establish those churches, to root them and ground them in the faith, to disciple them. He had a great passion for the saints of God, for brothers and sisters of like-minded faith. John 13 and 15 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We always do what we love, right? We can always afford the things that we love to do. We can always find time for the things that we love to do. I mean, it's, it's just a fact. If I want to do something bad enough, I'm going to find a way to do it. I'll save up the money. I'll rearrange my schedule. And I'll be able to fit that in. I love camping. I love hiking, canoeing, those kinds of things. <clears throat> there was a point in my life where I was able to go to the Boundary Waters for a whole week. Oh, my word, was that... A blessed experience for me. I went with people who uh, knew how to fish. I can't fish. 
I don't know if everything I throw into the water is is like poison to them. They run from it. But I had people there with me that they could fish, and boy were they. They were pulling walleyes out left and right. So I had walleye every night because they couldn't bring they couldn't bring all this back with them. So they they asked me if I do them a favor, help them eat some of this fish. I'm like, well, you owe me, but I'll do you that favor. I love walleye. Fresh walleye is oh my word. Maybe we'll have that for Thanksgiving. Anyway, so I was eating walleye every 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 meal. It was walleye, walleye this, walleye that, and. It was so nice because uh, well, first of all, it was April, okay? So it was a little bit cool, which is nice when you're sleeping, and there are also no bugs. All week long, I I saw one mosquito. All week long, I saw one mosquito. If you go up there in July, you're going to see a few more. I promise you that. But there were no bugs. <clears throat> Bath time was a little chilly, but it got you up in the morning. It was perfect. It was so quiet. It was so peaceful. Any point I'm bringing all this up is it was a little bit of money. And it was a week out of my schedule. But it was something I really wanted to do. And we made it work. I wasn't making boatloads of money. I mean, we were... We were pretty strapped at the time, but we made it work. We can do what we want to do. We can always find a way. Love makes the way. If we love the people of God, we are going to love coming into a service with them. We're going to love times of fellowship with them. Now, are the people of God, are your brothers and sisters perfect? Absolutely not. And you know that. You've seen them. You know they're not perfect. But we know that about you too. And you know that about me too. So, none of us are perfect. The old saying is, if you find a perfect church, leave. Because they won't be perfect anymore. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Not even the people of God. Sometimes your brother, your sister is not going to act in a manner that becomes Christianity. That's just the truth of it. We've got to make allowances for people. We've got to make allowances. And I pray that you'll make an allowance for me as well. Sometimes we have bad days. Sometimes we're not at our chipper best. But that's still my brother. That's still my sister. And I still love them. Jesus loves them. Love longs for fellowship. What brings us back to church? Why do we come to church? There are several reasons, and all of them good. I hope one of the reasons is to to see your brother and sister. 
I hope one of your reasons is truth. I hope one of your reasons is to, to encounter Jesus again in the service, to receive from Him, to minister one to another. But one reason ought to be, I long to see my brothers and sisters. And that's one reason, folks, if I may be transparent here uh, in the presence of the Lord, in the house of God, uh, I sometimes struggle with our online services. I see the necessity for it. Okay, and we're not going to stop doing it. I still think overall it's a, it's a good thing to do. But I fear sometimes it gives us a reason to not gather together with our brothers and sisters. And I, I just like gathering together with my brothers and sisters. I like seeing your faces. I like, I like listening to what's going on in your lives. I, I, like, I like watching you guys interact. It's very cool for me. I've said this before, you know, we gather downstairs every once in a while and sometimes when I get a moment, I'll just sit down and just watch everyone. Stand in a corner and just listen to the conversations. I think that's amazing. I love it. I love doing that. Amen. <clears throat> so although you and I are not always at our best, 100% of the time, we should be filled with love one toward another and we should be fiercely loyal one toward another. Again, we need to have each other's back. Someone's spreading a rumor about someone. My first inclination ought not to be, yeah, that sounds just like them. But rather, are you sure? I'm going to go talk to them and see, see what's up with this. Talk to them. We're family. We're thankful. And we ought to be thankful for each other. Amen. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. Are we thankful for our brothers and sisters in other states, other countries around the world? Did you know that some of our brothers and sisters are in prison right now because of their faith? They are. Some of our brothers and sisters are being tortured as we speak. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Not in the United States, but in places around the world. <clears throat> we have to be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. Because they are my brother and they are my sister. Amen. Paul was thankful constantly. No matter what. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he writes, In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, in the example we looked at in Exodus 15, they would have said, Give thanks to God when He does something good for you. <coughs> And that's exactly how they operated. I know they thought that way because that's how they acted. The things we truly believe, they're going to be demonstrated by our choices, our actions. So I know that's what they believed. But that's not the case, is it? When I'm thankful to God only when He blesses me, only when He does something that I deem good, 
There's a problem there. The problem is this. I don't trust Him. Because when I'm in a bad situation, I either think that's because of God. There are people, well-meaning people, that uh, they will blame God for every bad thing. Maybe not every bad thing, but major bad events that happen in their lifetime. If a child is, is sick, they're angry at God for that. And I say they're well-meaning because, well, two reasons. One, uh, they probably don't have a relationship with God. And two, they're in a very desperate situation right now. And so their emotions, I can imagine, are all over the place. <clears throat> but a spouse dies. They get sick. You know, some, some major event happens in their life. And the first inclination is to blame God. Be angry at God. Why? Because God has all power. And if God wanted to, He could fix this right now. But since it's not being fixed, then it's God's fault. That makes sense, right? If God is all-loving, and if God is all-powerful, why do these things happen? It's a valid question. But it indicates some things. It indicates a definite lack of trust in God. It indicates a, a somewhat of an ignorance of, of God's plan, how He wants things to, to progress. And that's where free moral agency comes in too. I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. In any case, why not? We're a cozy group here. <clears throat> we got time. So, God is all-powerful. If God is all-loving, then why do these things happen? Good question, right? First of all, let's talk about free moral agency. Which is kind of at the crux of the issue. If God took away free moral agency... Problem solved. No more evil in the world. Everybody would operate properly. Everybody would operate correctly. Right? I would be forced to obey the law of God. I would have no choice. There's nothing else I could do. I would respond perfectly every single time. And so would you. Problem solved. But who wants their free will taken away? Who wants to become a robot? Very few, if any, people would voluntarily sever that and become a robot. Okay, first problem. Free moral agency. That individual out there can choose to go buy a gun, come into this building, and shoot me in the forehead. Well, why didn't God stop him?
because he's not going to revoke free moral agency. Now, if he wanted, he could protect me. We've heard accounts of that. He could do or, or, or speak directly to the individual to cause him to change his mind. But if he was bound and determined to do that, he could do that. That's not God, folks. That's the choice that man made. And I can look back in situations in my life where things didn't turn out. Things turned out awful. Things were horrible. Why is this happening to me, God? Well, if I step back and take a look at the situation a little bit more clearly, it was because of choices that I made. I made bad choices. I heard one preacher say, you know, uh, this individual is standing up in his church and just he, she's going to praise God through this, this financial trial that she's in. And, uh, well, she was in the trial because she never paid her bills. So now she's got all these creditors calling her. She's just going to praise God and God's going to pay the bills. And he's like, you ain't going to praise your way through that. You've got to pay your bills. You've got to make different choices. That has nothing to do with God. Don't bring God into that. So it's choices, folks. Now, God, God could, if He wanted to, just wipe everything out and start over. He could do that too with perfect people. But He decided to use what He had. That's you. That's me. He loves us. And if we establish a relationship with Him, we begin to trust Him. Folks, you're not going to trust anybody you don't know. You won't. We were, at, uh, we were shopping at Menards yesterday. I had to get a five-gallon bucket so I could brine my, my turkey. And uh, we encountered this, this salesman for AT&T. There at Menards, of all places. And, you know, we talked with him for a little bit. We already have AT&T, and we were having these issues and, and these concerns. And he took our names down, our phone number. He said he's going to look into it. Uh, well, thanks. That's, that's awesome. Thank you very much for, for doing that. Do I believe in my heart of hearts he's going to try very hard to, to fix my problem? I don't. I don't believe that. I'll be honest with you. Maybe he will. Maybe he's good for his word, but I don't believe that he's going to try very hard. Why? I don't know him. I've never met him before. I don't know if he's trustworthy or not. If I had a relationship with him, knew him for 15, 20 years, then I would either, yeah, I'd absolutely trust you, or I absolutely don't trust you, based on what I know of the, the man. But I have no clue. I don't I don't. I don't not trust him, but I don't trust him either. I don't know him. And when I don't know God, when I don't have a relationship with him, I don't know if he's going to follow through or not. And that's fair. So my advice is get to know God. Let him demonstrate his faithfulness to you. He's okay with that. He's perfectly fine with that. 
He always has his big boy pants on. You tell him the truth, he's good with that. He has big shoulders. He can take it. You tell him you're angry with him, he can take it. I don't trust you right now. He's, he, maybe he's not okay with that, but he can take it. And he'll help you work through that. He is trustworthy. I've demonstrated that in my own life. You need to demonstrate that in yours. Allow God to demonstrate that to you. And the more we establish a relationship with Him, the more we get to know Him, the more we begin to trust Him. We can say with Job, Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. What was He saying there? He was saying that even if God allows me to die in the middle of this, I'm still trusting God that it's for my best. That somehow this is going to work out for good. Abraham, when he went to on, on Mount Moriah, God told him to kill Isaac. Well, how can I trust that? What, what are you even talking about? That's my son. That's the one you promised all of these things would come through. And now you want me to kill him as a sacrifice to you? But he trusted God that either he would raise them back up from the dead or something would happen. And at the last second, God stayed his hand. Because he trusted God. He trusted God. And that's what always happens when we trust God. When we allow God to do what He wants to do through us, when we allow God to work in us the way He wants to, instead of arguing, instead of fighting, instead of trying to give Him alternatives, instead of uh, just flat out doubting Him and saying, no, no, I, I don't think that's going to work out. I don't want that to happen. Maybe we don't want the event to happen, but we do want the results of that event to come into our lives. I promise you that. The event itself sometimes is difficult. But what God works out in the, in the midst of that, we want to receive that. That's always for our good. That's always for our very best. God has no agenda here, folks. He doesn't need anything. He certainly doesn't need anything from me. He's not trying to connive me or swindle me or, or play around with my life. Why would He even need to do that? He has everything. No, every time He moves, every time He acts, it's for my benefit. It's for your benefit. Every single time. Even when it seems like this is a very tough spot. This is a very difficult situation. It might seem like that. It may look like that. But if we can trust God through that situation, I promise you, it's going to work out wondrously every single time. And we can be thankful for that. That's why we can be thankful with Paul in the midst of a horrible situation. Because that horrible situation is working something out good in me. In my life. If we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned many times. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you.
It's supposed that he had very poor eyesight. That he was a little bit ugly. Sort. And everything give thanks. Sometimes he had to work with his own hands to supply his own needs. He didn't receive any support from anyone doing the work of God. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. When we're going through a tough time, when we're looking at our lives and it may not seem like we're rolling in blessing right now, we don't have to be rolling in blessing to be thankful. We're still alive. We're still relatively healthy. I thank God. I'm I'm 54 years old. Going on 55. Good grief. In a few months I can get senior citizen discount at family restaurant. <laughs> Looking forward to it. You got my discount for me. I'm going to play it up. Anyway, um, oh, I'm almost 55 years old. And, you guys distracted me. I'm not on any medication. I'm still very healthy. Thank God for that. I have a lot to be thankful for, folks. A lot to be thankful for. I know people younger than me who aren't doing so well. A guy I went to Bible school with has cancer. I pray for him. He seems to be doing well. But I don't have cancer. Thank God. I have a lot to be thankful for. I don't have to worry about hair. In the morning. All the time I'm saving. All the money I'm saving. No combs, no brushes, no shampoo. Nothing. Three swipes with a rag, towel, it's done. Amen. Thank God for that. <clears throat> I'm not the richest man around. I have four wonderful children. I have a wife who says she loves me. (laughs) And I have enough of a relationship with her. I think I can trust her with that. (laughs) Amen. And the last thing we can be thankful for We find in the book of Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. The letter's theme is Christ's return. Every day the Apostle Paul lived as if his Lord was going to come back today. He was expecting it. He lived his life with that in mind. He lived his life in view of eternity, thankful That one day, no matter what happens down here, good, bad, or indifferent, I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven where there are no more tears, 
No more sorrow. No more suffering. Everything is perfect. Literally. Figuratively. However you want to define it. It's perfect. I'm thankful for that. I am so thankful for that. That Jesus Christ suffered on a cross so that I have the option of living forever with Him. And down here, I have the option of having a relationship with Him. Whether I do or don't, I'm going to have tough days. Whether I serve Jesus Christ with my life or don't, I'm going to have bad days. I'm going to have tough spots in my life. I don't care if you're a multi-billionaire, the most successful man in the world, woman in the world. You're going to have bad days. But the difference is, when I serve Jesus Christ, He walks through that trial with me. He sustains me through it. He guides me through it. He's with me every step of the way. And He makes sure that it works out for my very best. The tough spots I had before serving Jesus Christ, I can't say they always worked out for my best. Because they didn't. The stupid choices I made, I just, I just took it right in the gut. But now, I make a dumb choice. I can repent. And God helps me. And He moves me through it. And He works it out for my very best. Praise God. So this is Thanksgiving week. This is where we, as a nation, come together and we celebrate all of the blessings that we enjoy here in the United States. Our founding. Uh, we do have a lot to be thankful for. A lot to be thankful for. But let's make sure that we're focused on the right things. Because financial blessing, having stuff, that can go very quickly. Some of us have lived long enough to experience that. Material blessings, material things, they come and go. Money, that comes and goes. It's very fleeting sometimes. Let's live our lives in view of eternity with the spiritual in mind. Those things are permanent. Those things last forever. Everything we do here for Jesus Christ, we'll enjoy the benefits of that in heaven forever. Praise God for that. It's enduring, not temporal. We can be thankful for that. We ought to live our lives in view of eternity. We can and indeed ought to be thankful every day of our lives as Christians. Certainly not just this week. We ought to be continually thankful for the blessings that we receive, the benefits that we receive of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, You are an awesome God. And I am so very thankful for You and for Your so great salvation. Thank You, Jesus, for every good thing, every perfect thing that we receive from You. It is from You. And we trust, Lord, that whatever we do receive at Your hand is for our best. It may not seem like it in the moment. 
but we trust you and we will continue to walk forward with you seeing these things come to fruition. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bless the remainder of your service here, bless the people that are present here today, minister to their every need, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back at a quarter till.